This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Clip and Roll. I am your host, Justin Russo, and joining me on this special episode, and the reason I'm saying it's special is because Shane Young of Forbes Sports is with me, and he's actually closer to me in proximity than he ever has been in our time recording, because Shane, you're currently in a hotel room in Los Angeles, correct? I'm currently downtown, Justin Russo, and it is 50 miles from you, probably, instead of 3,000 or so, so, you know, I think that is a... I think that's a big first step here. Yeah, our relationship is growing. <laughs> hey, I mean, tomorrow, hopefully, we, hopefully I'm sitting next to you, man. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably be up in the press box. I was there for game five. So, I, hey, I, I, at least I get to go back and pick up my laptop charger. I'm pumped about that. <laughs> the, the fact that it's still sitting up there untouched. I mean, unless, unless one of those mean ushers that just hates the Los Angeles Clippers saw that it was Justin Russo's and said, screw this dude. I'm taking this with me. To be fair, I wouldn't blame them. I would <laughs> do the same thing. <laughs> screw that guy, you know? Tell the people that you had to go, you had to go get you a new charger. Oh yeah, I had to go get a new charger. I, I, I actually went to the Apple store and bought a new charger. And because I needed it for my laptop, I couldn't go basically four days without a charger at least four days without a charger so i went and bought one from the apple store and the very nice lady at the apple store did tell me that when i get my old charger back i can just bring the new one back to apple and they'll just reimburse me well that's a very nice thing to do i know they don't have to do that so i mean it is what it is but speaking of game five uh as mentioned i watched it from the press box first time i was ever up in the press box by the way i made it all the way through the season without <laughs> going up to the press box but i went up to the press box for this one i don't know if that was a curse for game five but i mean to be fair they lost games one and two when i wasn't in the press box so who knows <laughs> um clippers come into game five riding two big wins to even the series if you believe in momentum, momentum is firmly on their side. And then they start once again in the first quarter like absolute doo-doo. Luka Doncic scores 19 points in the first quarter. The Clippers look like they don't know what they're doing. All the defensive changes they made from game uh, in game four have just gone completely out the window. Everyone's overhelping on things again. But as has been the case in the series... The Clippers are somehow in this game in the middle of the third quarter, and they're not just in the game. They have a lead, 75-73, with about 345 to go in the third quarter. And then Dallas goes on a 16-0 run to close the quarter. Clippers are trailing by 14 going to the fourth. Kawhi Leonard's sitting. Uh, Paul George is in. 
Clippers trail by 12 with nine minutes to play, but they cut it down to four with 5.45 to go. But Dallas over the next 3.45 goes on a run. Clippers are down 10 with two minutes to go. They get it down to one with 18 seconds left because Reggie Jackson hits a three, Marcus Morris hits a three, Kawhi gets an and one dunk. They're down one with, with 18 seconds to go. Terrence Mann makes an amazing play to dart into the passing lane and get a steal. And, and Paul George gets the ball, kicks it ahead to Terrence in transition, and Terrence Mann goes up for a layup and passes it to Nick Batum, who misses a who misses about a three-footer at the rim. It was heavily contested. Mavericks get the rebound, make two free throws. Clippers are down three. Kawhi misses a game-tying three-pointer. Clippers lose 105-100. Um, first off, please do not blame Terrence Mann. I understand he passed out of... I passed out of what was likely to be the go-ahead layup. Like it, he's likely to have made that if he took it. It's not his fault because nothing in that game was really his fault. Um, the Clippers blew this in several fashions. Kawhi Leonard had 20 points, but he was 7-19. He just didn't look comfortable. Rajon Rondo was actively harmful. Terrence was actually really solid with his energy. We found out, continued, continually found out that Zubats can't play when Doncic is on the floor. Reggie Jackson kept the Clippers alive at times, especially in the third quarter. And Batum and Paul George were great, but Paul George's fourth foul in the third quarter absolutely killed the Clippers, and Ty Lue talked about a postgame. So the Clippers trail in the series three games to two after game five, and none of the home teams have won a game at that point. And basically, as you're watching that entire sequence inside two minutes unfold, there is a scenario where Terrence Mann makes that layup, the Clippers win the game, and all of a sudden, the Clippers just stole a game they had no business winning. I mean, is that kind of what it felt like Like when you watch Terrence Mann running to the rim? Yes. And I thought, like, you know, people want to try to blame T-Man for the, you know, miscalculation or decision to pass it off. But I, I thought it was a really good pass by Paul George. I think it was PG, right, that made that, like, go-ahead pass to try to – I think that he PG saw that T-Man had that corner – pretty much empty and then he could have he was making that baseline cut and Luca was the only one sliding over it as help defense and I think he thought okay well Terrence is going to get this ball and he's going to make a play at the rim but you know I mean Terrence it, it's actually funny like the common theme around the the Clippers this year has been make the extra pass uh, sacrifice a good shot for a great shot and I think Terrence might have just got his own in, into his own head a little bit there but Hey, I mean, that that happens. The guy is in his second year. So, I mean, it, you don't fret about that. And plus, like, I think if you combine all of the positive impact plays that he had in that game or in the series, you know, it probably outweighs that mistake. But um, I think you hit the nail on the head with a couple things there that you said first uh, at the beginning was overhelping. That seemed to be the reason that the Clippers were not in that game or they should not have been in that game to begin with because there were just routine mistakes. I mean, it was, it was just like over and over Nick Batum over helping from the strong side corner shading Luca and just the wrong spots. Like, you know, there's a, there's a proper way to do it, which we saw in game six that we'll talk about, but like there, there wasn't, it, it just didn't seem like a, a clear direction on who they were going to help off of when they were going to help off those players and it, it really cost the Clippers big time defensively. But everything, like it was just a storm of bad things that happened in game five. 
I think uh, Lucas has also talked about this. Like everyone, including me and you, have pointed to the defensive like kind of breakdowns or you know here and there in Game Five that they they could have really built a lead had they not uh, just overhelped. But it's also the shot making or lack thereof. It was also just the lack of offensive execution. Their their defensive rating in the series has been pretty good, you know, throughout ever since I guess Game One or Game Two, but. It's just the the flat out wide open misses that haunted the Clippers in Game Five and nearly got them in the next game. They just can't make wide open threes, and we will get into that. I'll touch on that in a yeah. minute, but they just can't make wide open threes. Uh, one of the adjustments in Game Five is that Rick Carlisle started Boban Marjanovic uh, alongside Kristaps Porzingis to give them more size against the Clippers' smaller lineup. Overall, I didn't feel like it made that much of a difference. Some people said they thought it did. I mean, Dallas played a zone. I thought the Clippers got great shots against the zone. So, I mean, some, they just didn't make some of them. It's just, I didn't really look at it as like, this adjustment is why Dallas won the game. Yeah, I thought I thought Carlisle has, um, I, think, I think he's been doing something pretty smart. It's like, if you, if you can't find a way to really stop the Clippers from getting good shots, then you just have to try anything and everything. You have to throw darts at the wall and see if they stick. And I think that's what the Boban insertion was because he mucks things up. He makes it a, he forces Dallas to play that zone. He forces the Clippers to pass it on the perimeter and burn a lot of the shot clock, not able to get into the paint until it's like a, a last three or four second desperation attempt. And I thought, I thought Dallas uh, Carlisle, I thought he, kind of did a really good job of of making Ty Lue and making the Clippers think. Like that is something that I think Carlisle is probably one of the best at in the league. It's adjusting to things on the fly and forcing the other team to react accordingly. And if you for you know, I think we saw it in game five. It forced the Clippers to think a little bit in the first quarter, a little bit in the second quarter of how are we going to attack the zone? That's what, you know, PG and Kawhi seem to be thinking if you were just reading their eyes and reading their movements. And everything was just kind of kind of dull for the most part. Although they were getting good shots, it, it, it's still like I think I think the movement was died down in game five because of that zone. But can I say something real quick about the Bobon thing? Go ahead. Over the last two games with Boban on the court, it has been it, it has resembled second grade or even like kindergarten playground basketball, where that is all they have sought out is let me just dump this ball down to the seven foot four, two hundred and ninety pound behemoth, and it's going to resemble a fifth grader playing against kindergartners. And that's and, and you know I think it comes to light whenever you see Boban getting just absolutely harassed by four Clippers, Marcus, PG, Kawhi, Reggie, like all of them just around Boban, and it really does look like recess. It's pretty funny to watch, to be honest. Um, what I what I think was the biggest adjustment in Game Five that helped Dallas win is we saw a lot more Dwight Powell. Um, I asked yeah. Ty about Dwight Powell even before Game Five. I asked him about Dwight Powell because I th- I saw it coming because of, yep. of what Dwight Powell did at the end of game four, even in a blowout. I could see it coming. And Dwight Powell plays 21 and a half minutes. It's more minutes that he played in the series total before that. He has 8.7 rebounds, two assists, a steal. Yes, he has five fouls, but he gave them a rim presence they had not had. 
And that was a big deal, I think, in Dallas getting the win. They they needed rim pressure, and he gave it to them. Well, game six comes along. Clippers now have to go on the road. I mean, yes, they won in Dallas two previous times in the series, but they now need to win. Like, there's no haha if they lose a game, they can kind of, you know, they could, they'll be okay. No, like their season's over if they don't win in Dallas in game six. And they come out. It's another somewhat lackluster start. Yeah, they're scoring. I shouldn't even say they're scoring. Reggie Jackson is scoring. They fall behind early. Reggie just basically saves them. I think he scores 14 points in the first quarter. They're trailing by two at the end of one. Kawhi only has three points in the first quarter. And you're kind of just wondering, like, like okay, like, you know, what's going to happen? You know, <laughs> they need to get it going. And then Kawhi Leonard goes for 42 points in the final three quarters. He finishes with 45. The Clippers rally from several deficits, including a seven-point deficit in the third quarter in which Leonard just ends up scoring 15 straight points for the Clippers to end the third. The Clippers are down four entering the fourth. Paul George carries the Clippers early in the fourth while Kawhi rests. And then Lou brings Ty Lue brings Kawhi back in when Doncic comes in and removes Zubats out of the game at that time, which was a great adjustment by Ty. Zubats just can't play when Luka's on the floor, which is a stark contrast from the series last season. The Clippers are down by one with 630 to, to go. And then Kawhi just leads them home. It's just mid-range pull-up, mid-range pull-up. Uh, step back three, step back three. Like he's just, he started just going ballistic <laughs> and he, he finishes with 45 points on 18 of 25 shooting. Reggie Jackson has 25 points, nine rebounds, four assists, and he's a plus 13. Paul George finishes with 2013, the 13 being rebounds, six assists, three blocks. And he played the final 36 minutes of the game. Like any good team. Hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. If you love listening to us here on Clip and Roll, what's stopping you from grabbing a microphone and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle's the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, 
access to our community discord and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show published and pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to talk to us about your favorite team, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to B whustle.com slash join check out the description box in this episode to find out more but that's bwhustle.com slash join yeah obviously Kawhi is going to be the star he's going to be the guy that that is going to go down history for that performance but pg deserves like a ton of more credit and i think you did a good job of, of acknowledging that like you know earlier today when uh, you basically just said PG playing 30, was it 36 straight minutes you said? He's uh, played the final 36. Yeah, it's like, man, that that doesn't happen in a, in a game like this while he's also performing well. I mean, he, he struggled offensively for the first, you know, what, two quarters or so? Three, three quarters. Three quarters. And then I think what what stuck out to me was PG's defense on Tim Hardaway and a lot of the, on a lot of those possessions him staying active and and really I'm swallowing up up guys that are coming into the paint i mean it was it was crazy um when it comes to game 6 and how it started Reginald Sean Jackson if he does not do what he did in the first quarter we're not having this discussion, Justin. Like we're talking about something completely different. It's an end of season good riddance podcast for the Clippers because it ended so poorly and so tragically. Um, I, I think the biggest thing that Reggie provided, correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe if you disagree, is like just the fearlessness to shoot. I mean, the ball was not getting in the air. I mean, no one it, it felt like everyone was tight except for Reggie. Uh, yeah, I mean, Reggie came out and was like, look, if they're going to make me shoot, I'm going to shoot. And, you know, if I miss, then I'm sorry, but no one else is getting open looks like I am right now. And that's what the Clippers needed. Um, two things. Number one, PG prior to the fourth quarter has 12 points on, I believe, three of 11 shooting fourth quarter. He has uh, yeah, 11 points on 11, 12, 12 points on three of 11 shooting prior to the fourth quarter. He then has eight points on four shots in the fourth quarter alone, plus two blocks, four rebounds and an assist. And several of those shots gave the Clippers the lead at various points in the fourth. Um, look, man, in a game when the Clippers needed them to step up, PG stepped up in a huge way when they needed them. And the second point that I want to kind of talk about with you for a minute is the most interesting lineup adjustment from Ty Lu in this game, huh? Luke Kennard plays competitive minutes just out of nowhere, just randomly appears in the game, and he plays in the fourth quarter even for, for like four and a half minutes. Um, he's on the floor with Kawhi and PG at one point. I, uh, You know, Mason Basada <laughs> asked Ty Lu postgame, and this was the same question I had. Like, I really wanted to know, like, that was a very interesting lineup adjustment considering your season's on the line. This guy hasn't played in the series, really. And you threw him out there in huge minutes. Like, not like he played a lot of minutes, but like, these are huge minutes with your season on the line. And I was curious why. I kind of figured why. And then he said, he goes, I needed the shot making and I needed the spacing. 
Yeah. And I'm telling you, while Luke Kennard went 0 of 3 from 3, those threes, all of those threes were like halfway down and rimmed out. And I don't think Ty's going to be pissed about them. I will say, Kennard's defense was actually good. <laughs> and if they can play him, he's going to play in game seven. Ty yeah. iterated, you could hear it, that he's going to play in game seven. If if Luke Kennard can play in game seven and not be a negative defensively, that just like the Clippers ceiling in game seven goes up a little bit. And that's all you need to do is just go up a little bit. Cause in a game seven, a Sunday afternoon game, you know, a day after travel, one day off, the kinds of guys who play well are usually the, the younger, more energetic guys. So maybe a Terrence, maybe a Luke, maybe a Reggie who is a, is a younger ish guy compared to basically everyone else in the starting lineup. So I'm very curious to see what happens in game seven as far as the rotations go. But Luke Kennard getting pulled off the scrap heap to go out there and give him solid minutes was not on my Clippers game six bingo card to stay alive. (laughs) Neither was it on mine. And when Luke came into the game, it was one of those things where I think it actually went back to the point you've been banging home about Reggie, how everyone, it seems like 98% of of the media sphere and the fan base, if you want to combine the two have been like bashing the Reggie starting decision, but you have continuously said like you need the spacing. You can have somebody that the defense, especially Rick Carlisle, who's seen every single type of playoff uh, matchup possible. doesn't respect if they don't respect Rondo, if they don't respect Terrence, like you can't play both of them together. If, the, if you don't respect like Patrick Beverly, which Patrick Beverly is a good shooter, but it's like I think the defense respects Reggie enough to where he has to be in there. And the same for Luke Kennard. I mean, who's going to help off Luke, who was 46% from three this year? Like nobody. And I think that's important. Um, the, the shots he got were pretty good. I thought, I mean, what, three corner looks, if I'm not mistaken? It just And they were know, wide open. Yeah, in and out. It, it, the, the Clippers, by the way, one for eight on corner threes. I don't think they've won a game this year shooting like that from the corners. They just happen to do it in a in the do-or-die scenario, which is kind of funny. Um, but Luke Kennard, you, you even heard Ty Lue after the game talk about how he, he actually brought up that, that loose ball – what he say first to the floor? I think that's what he said when when Luke dove to the floor and got. Oh that. yeah, he gets the yeah. steal. He gets yeah. the steal. Yeah, yeah. Ty mentioned that, so it seems like he, he's starting to trust him a little bit. He trusts guys who compete. That's that's really all it is. Like if you're competing and you're hustling, you're gonna play. One of the craziest things from this game is that Tim Hardaway Jr. had 23 points and the Clippers won. Now that might sound weird. Like why are you bringing that up? Well, the Mavericks were 3-0 and in this series when Hardaway scored at least 20 points. He had 21 in Game 1, 28 in Game 2, 20 in Game 5, and he had 23 in Game 6. Now, his shooting has slowly started to come back down to earth. In the first three games of the series, Hardaway shot 65% from three. In the last three games of this series, on 25 three-point attempts, he's made seven, which is 28%. Now, does that mean he's coming back down to earth and he's going to have a good game seven? I don't know, because game sevens are very wonky. Like, game sevens are usually decided by role players who, you know, they, they make a shot they're not supposed to make. Like, for instance, in game five, Josh Richardson hit, like, one or two pull-ups in the mid-range with a hand in his face. Those are the kinds of things 
uh, I mean, not game five. I think it was game six, actually. Yeah. But those are the kinds of things that like decide pivotal games is is this guy making a shot that he shouldn't probably either be taking or making and if the answer is yes that kind of swings things um Luka Doncic had 29 points in game six he was 11 of 24 I kind of don't think he was that good a lot not a lot some of his scoring came way at the end of the game when the game was already decided um I believe he ended up scoring like go ahead I was going to say, and you know, on the Luca point, I'm just, you know, you can continue your point because it's just kind of tied to it. But what the Mavericks lose by five? Is that what they lost by? Seven. They lost by seven, and Luca commits a couple of just boneheaded fouls that cost them bonus free throws. Like, I think that needs to be addressed first. <laughs> like, like, I think this dude needs to calm down a little bit because he's just giving points to the opposition by take, getting take fouls in the, in the backcourt. Oh, yeah. He had one that was like 90 feet from the hoop with like four seconds to go, and it made no sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, 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 it would drive me crazy if, if I mean, it drives me crazy now. He's, and I, he's not even on a team I cover. It just drives me insane. <laughs> um, we've talked about the shooting stuff uh, for the Clippers, I, and, you know, you wrote about it. Um, the Clippers of Gen, you wrote this today. The, yeah. Clipper, the Clippers find themselves tied 3-3 in a series despite being on the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to shooting variance and luck. And these are the numbers you reference for the series. Wide open three-point shooting. This is just wide open threes, defender at least six feet of space away. So wide open. Mavericks are at 44%. The Clippers are at 36.4%. The Clippers have taken 24 more wide open threes than Dallas and only made three more. This was the God. best... This was the best catch and shoot and wide open three point shooting team in the NBA this season. The Clippers shot 45% on wide open threes this season, and they're at 36% in this series. I don't know how they forced a game seven. Yes, I understand Kawhi just went absolutely nuclear in game six to get them to a game seven, but I still don't know how they got to a seven. Like, how did they win three games? In their wins, Shane, in the three wins in this series, the Clippers are shooting 32.7% on wide open threes. I don't know how they're winning these games. It was truly the most comical thing I've ever seen whenever you posted those numbers, Justin, because whenever people say this type of stuff that I'm about to say, it it gets called hyperbole or you're just being prisoner of the moment, whatever the case. It's truly the weirdest series I've ever seen uh, so, or one that I can remember watching attentively. I just don't remember a series that that you can you can actually argue both teams could have won in four games if you because if, if you take it if you take it from the Clippers perspective if Dallas doesn't come out just ridiculous in games one and two and the Clippers don't shoot themselves in the foot with their own defensive mistakes they win the first two or if the Mavericks as you said actually take advantage of the Clippers missing shots in Dallas then they would win. So it, it could have gone either way, and I, I guess that's why there's a game seven because both teams should have, could have swept. Yeah, it's it's one of the most intriguing series I've seen um, from that point of view. Uh, here's a stat for the series with Nicholas Batum on the floor alongside Luka Doncic. So when they're going head to head, 153 minutes, Clippers are plus 32. That's amazing for the Clippers. Batum on the floor without Doncic, 30 minutes, Clippers plus 33. Um, Batum off, Doncic on, 
83 minutes, Dallas plus 48. So it really is just boiling down to the fact that you just need to have Batum on against Doncic at all times. That's kind of what the Clippers ended up doing in game six. Um, Zubats did not play a single minute with uh, Luka on the floor in game six, I don't believe. So Ty is just flat out. Ty went to like a six man rotation for a little bit. Like, (laughs) yeah, like the, the starters all played like 40 minutes, man. Like it wasn't like. It wasn't like guys got a ton of time on the floor. Well, I guess the I guess the Clippers should be thankful that Mike Budenholzer is not coaching the team. Uh, yeah, Budenholzer, uh, he's something else, man. I, <laughs> uh, you know what's fascinating? You know what's very fascinating about this to me about I guess what's transpired in the last week or so is that Rondo, Rajon Rondo was very pivotal, very monumental in Game Three. Like they don't win without his brilliance, I guess, and there and therefore they would be down three zero. But yet his impact is. And he been, was he was good in the first four games. Let's be yeah, honest, he was really yeah. good in the first four games overall. Yeah, and his impact since then has been like eh. So it's like I mean this that 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 right there points to this series being bonkers because one guy can go from, uh, you know, a game changer to hey we can't even play this dude anymore. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think that's why Kennard started playing. Yeah. It's because they realized that Dallas wasn't respecting Rondo and Rondo just wasn't making shots. So if he's not making shots and they're not respecting him, then what's the point of playing him? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, the chess pieces. I think Kawhi actually used that term last, last night, by the way. I think he said chess pieces. <laughs> when when uh, I think uh, some ESPN person asked him about game plan, he's like, I'm not. T- now, that was PG. He said, I'm not talking about game plan. But anyway, um, I, I think that we're seeing a real battle between the coaches here. It's like, OK, that's your move. This is my move. That's your move. This is my move. And it was actually... It's actually funny to see Ty Lue predict the Boban stuff a couple of games ago. Yeah, he predicted Boban starting game five. And Tim Cato of The Athletic asked Rick Carlisle before game five, does Ty Lue saying that you're starting Boban actually <laughs> like dissuade you from starting him? But he was like, well, I don't use Rick Carlisle said, you, you know, I don't mention lineup stuff until I actually release the lineup. But he goes, if he, that's what he said, it's whatever. And I'm like, you know what? Credit to Rick Carlisle because another coach saying, I know they're going to start this guy would probably dissuade several coaches from starting that guy. But then he was just like, screw it. I'm going with him. And it worked sometimes. It didn't work sometimes. It was what it was. Um, but look, the table's been set. Game seven, Sunday afternoon, Staples Center, 1230 start. And... Neither team has won a home game. If the Clippers are too advanced, not only do they have to win a home game, they have to win the type of home game they have struggled with throughout the last several years, which is a Sunday or just even a weekend afternoon home start. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know because games, you cannot predict game sevens. No, it's just like impossible to predict. You could not have uh, lined out or predicted anything of what happened in game seven against Denver. Like you couldn't have, you couldn't have lined out PG and Kawhi's shooting splits. You couldn't have lined out uh, Jamal Murray having the best game of the series. Like he saved it for the end and you couldn't have predicted like, uh, well, I guess you could have predicted doc not adjusting, but that's one, that's a different thing, but it's like uh, game sevens are all about, uh, variants coming back to bite you in either way like it could either help you or bite you and something you 
mentioned earlier, I want to bring up again. You said that role players win game sevens, right? Yeah. I think the reason for that is by the end of by the end of game six, going into game seven, like you know every superstar knows what the other stars are going to do, what the opposing stars are going to do, and every coach knows the tendencies. And you're going to not sell out your defense, but you're going to do everything you can to prevent those guys from going off in a winner-take-all game. And therefore, you you get a lot of the Dorian Finney-Smith being wide open or, you know, Maxi Kleba might find himself wide open a lot. I mean, he's he's been kind of quiet over the last few games. He might be the guy that decides it. You know, I think that's why role players decide it. I mean, yeah, that's just how I look at it. Is, is role players decide it because everything gets bogged down mostly in game sevens. I mean... You start looking, you start looking around at, at previous game sevens. You know the Clippers played in the last game seven, which was against uh, Denver. Obviously, it didn't go their way. Maybe they get some redemption. I mean, you want to talk about role players somewhat deciding game sevens? Look at the OKC Houston game seven from last year in the bubble. Lugens Dort goes for thirty, <laughs> and they almost win that game because of it. Um, you know, Eric Gordon has 21. Robert Covington has 20. Those two combined for 42. Jeff Green has 13. Didn't Chris have a bad game? Uh, he had 19, 12, and 11. Oh, okay. On five of 11. <laughs> I, th- I thought I remember him yeah, I mean, coming up short a little bit. I guess not. No, I mean, it, it, uh, a little bit towards the end. It was just like, like you look at those games and it's like, Eric Gordon and Robert Covington each had more points than James Harden and Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul. Lugens Dort was the leading scorer in the game seven. Like game sevens get weird and it's okay for people. Like, like I just think that's really what it is. Like game sevens get weird. Portland won a game seven against Denver several years ago. And Damian Lillard shot three of 17. CJ McCollum turned in, turned into Michael Jordan that night. So yeah, yeah, CJ McCollum turned to Michael Jordan, but they got 14 from Evan Turner. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like just random things happen in game sevens. I mean, we, I'm sure we could talk about Houston missing 27 straight threes. You know, like, there's several things that occur that impact game sevens more than just, hey, which star showed up? Well, maybe a star didn't show up, but maybe another guy did to kind of, quote-unquote, save them. So those are the kind of things. I mean... It just is the nature of it all. Um, game sevens are just really finicky. Um, a lot of them are close. Some of them aren't. You know, you know who I think is due. I, th- I think Ty's been saying this so much that you know we kind of just get ingrained with it. He's been saying that they're due for a good shooting game. You know who I think is really due for a good game? It's Marcus. I think Marcus is going to decide the game. Is that crazy? Um. I don't think it's crazy. I, I mean, he shot poorly. Like, I think people have been too hard on him in this he's series. Been good because defense, really good defensively. Really good. The job he's had to do in this series is unlike any other. He Like when they re-signed him, I don't think they thought this would be his job where he has to box out Boban and Porzingis by himself, basically. Oh, no. I mean, when they signed him, it was just like, you know, you're going to be a really good spot up threat uh, when, in the games that Kawhi and PG can't play. You know, offense going to run through you a lot. But but yeah, you're right. Playing small ball five for a good chunk of minutes in a series that I don't think the Clippers expected to go seven. I mean, Marcus has had to had to bang down low, man. And, he you know, he's taken the most physical toll among anybody, I would say. Yeah, he's played the third most minutes. 
Uh, he's fouled out a couple times because he's had to be physical with their bigger players. Um, look, man, his shooting, it's not been great. He's 10 of 29 from three. But I don't look at him and go, he's the reason. Like, if he makes a couple more, the Clippers would have won. Like, yeah, in theory, that's true. But he's being asked to do so much, it's draining. Yeah. It's just very draining. You know, at the end of the day, Reggie Jackson has saved the Clippers to some degree. You know, PG's been great the last several games, especially from three. Kawhi's been, I don't have an adjective to describe Kawhi, if I'm being honest. So We, we just went, you know, 30 plus minutes and we didn't even really, I mean, you touched on Kawhi's historical game, but holy cow, like that was... 45 points on, I believe I had it, 80. 72. Was it 70? Oh, well, 84, shot, 84% he, true yeah. shooting, right? Yeah, he shot 72% from the field, like if you want to go off that. But yeah, it's it was one of the most absurd games I've ever seen a player have. Yeah, and whenever you think of like, okay, this dude now has two of the 11 most efficient games, uh, 45 points, if you go by true shooting, like, He's a perennial playoff star, you know, legend, it seems like. I mean, he's only played uh, probably a little bit over 100 playoff games or so. But, um, you know, it's 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 crazy what he's done in such a short amount of time. I mean, he turns 30 next month and, it, you know, he's already got this like you know, huge playoff resume. And I'm going to be honest with you, Justin, like it surprised me that he did that down the stretch because he looked like he was hobbling a little bit. People brought that up. I guess I just didn't notice it. As weird as that sounds, I just really, I, I just, yeah, I just didn't notice it. Um, I felt like he was easing into the game, and then I got worried in the third. I'm not gonna lie, because I noticed he went into chucker mode. That can get oh, kind of yeah. wonky. And he I was like, a, oh, he airballed a he airballed a baseline mid ranger in front of Dallas's bench. I think. Yeah, and I was like, this is not great. And then all of yeah. a sudden. He just started bang, boom, bing, and he bang. just was, he yeah. was insane. <laughs> what I was talking about, I, that reverse slam on, was it Porzingis or Kleba? I forgot who it was. That oh, reverse. yeah, yeah, yeah. He got up looking like his knee, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I'm not sure what it was with Kawhi, but the fact that he can just do that and then sound like the most boring individual post game, like it, it's something to marvel at. It really is. Have you looked at his number? So like, obviously they won all three games on the road. So his, his win splits and his road splits are the same. Have you looked at like his, like what he did on the road in the series? I, I, I mean, I did, but I don't have it in my memory bank right now. He averaged 37 points a game or 36.7. If I, if I really want to round down 36.7 points per game on an 85.3 true shooting. <laughs> Dude, he shot 73.7% from the field, man. 18,000 Dallas fanatics buying tickets three straight games to watch the baddest man on the planet, as Reginald Jackson called him, uh, just do work. He was insane. And win or lose on Sunday, win or lose, his game six performance is right at the top of like just absolute peak performances I've seen out of player right alongside or maybe even a little bit above or on par to, I guess I should say Chris Paul's one legged game winner game for the Clippers. God. Were you in the building that night? No, I was not in the building that night, but God. um, 
that was one of the most incredible. I mean, Chris Paul had 27 points on nine of 13 and drilled five of six threes and the dude pulled up from, over Tim Duncan. The dude pulled up at halftime from 40. It, it just went in like effortlessly on a bad hamstring. Yeah. I think that's when his hamstring started <laughs> yeah. going out. Yeah, he uh Whew, there's been some weird iconic games for the Clippers. Hasn't, amount, hasn't amounted to pretty much anything yet, but hey. Well, let's dedicate 30 seconds real quick to Chris Paul and upsetting. Well, I don't even think you should call it upset, but beating the Los Angeles Lakers and really, I guess, say, you know, coming through because his body looked like it was failing him. His arm, his shoulder looked like it was failing him down, down the stretch of a couple of those games. He couldn't even use his right hand or right arm. And still, I mean, somehow looked really damn good in the in the last couple of games. I'll always hold a special place in my heart for Chris because um, outside of Blake, he was the most important Clipper of my lifetime. Yeah. He's the best. I mean, he's beside, behind Kawhi. He's the best Clipper, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, yeah. But I'd probably still put Chris above him just because okay. Chris, is, Chris was here longer and the track record and all that stuff. Um but yeah, I mean, Chris is insane. I hope he feels better going to the next round against Denver. Um, as far as the Lakers are concerned, uh, I, I hate the injuries. I really do. I can't. St- injuries have just killed so much this season, even past seasons. Um, I'm sorry that AD got injured. Uh, I wish Andy Davis was healthy. I mean, he was banged up as well. I mean, they were all hurt. Yeah, they were all banged up. Every, every Everyone on both sides was. I mean, at this point in the season, everyone gets banged up in some way. But, you know, best of wishes to Anthony Davis, Contavious Caldwell Pope. I hope they heal up. Alex Caruso, too. He he left game six, I believe, with an injury. So AD shouldn't you know, have played. They, no, Anthony Davis should not have played. But, you know, I mean, I guess you give him credit for trying to go. Yeah. I also think it's prudent for a training staff and a medical staff to look out for the best interest of their people rather than let them go out there and do whatever the hell they tried to let them do. But uh, I hope Anthony Davis gets healthy. Uh, I wish Chris Paul the best of luck in the next round against Denver. Denver is another team that's hurt by injuries and they've just been chugging along because Nikola Jokic is insane and Austin Rivers, baby. God love you. I love you, man. (laughs) Austin Rivers outplaying the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, Man, I, I, Hey, it's happened before, right? <laughs> Listen, was there any doubt that Austin Rivers was going to come through in a game six in Portland? Hell no. <laughs> we saw this before. I tweeted it out to like the, the night that the Blazers lost game five. Portland's going to come back to, to rue that day because Austin Rivers in a game six in Portland. You can't bet against them. Austin <laughs> Rivers led Denver in minutes in game six. Austin Rivers single handedly. Blowing up the Trailblazers in 2021. Woo! Love it. Love Jason it. Kidd, Jason Kidd, come on down. Give it to me. Um, but yeah, game seven, Sunday afternoon. If you're listening to this, it I mean, I'm putting it out on Saturday night, but if you hear it on Sunday morning, you know, I love you guys. I love everyone who's listened to this. Um, I don't know how game seven is gonna go. It's gonna be stressful. Uh Shane and I will be there. Uh, we're going to try to, along with Farbod, who will also be there, we're going to try to record a podcast after the game, time permitting. Um, maybe we'll just all go back to Shane's room and just get absolutely hammered. <laughs> hey, man. Win or lose. <laughs> I, I, really, I would really hate to see Farbod drunk. <laughs> that would actually be a nice sight to behold. Um, 
Game seven, as Reggie, Reggie Jackson said it in the postgame, two best words in sports, game seven. Um, role players decide game seven. Maybe Reggie will do it. Maybe Tim Hardaway would do it for Dallas. I don't know. Maybe Dorian Finney-Smith gets hot. Maybe Chris uh, Porzingis. Maybe he gets a going. I don't, like, I, you never know. You just never know in game sevens. Um, Matt Barnes, in the, in the game that you and I just yeah. talked about, when Chris Paul hit the game winner against the Spurs, Matt Barnes was incredible. Didn't Matt Barnes like, uh, blow up the the lob to Kawhi Leonard? The final play, the final play, yes. And he, I think he had like fifteen or eighteen points in that game or something. Um, yeah. Like this is what we're talking about. Game, you don't know. It's do or die. When your back is against the wall, you never know how you're going to react. For the Clippers, their back was against the wall in Game Six, and they reacted well. You know, you could say that their back was against the wall in games three and four, but not not as much as in game six. They had to win game six and they responded well. I don't know how Dallas will respond. It's a game seven. It's it's their first basically the first time their back is metaphorically against the wall. So, you know, a do or die setting. You don't know how these dudes are going to react. I know Luka Doncic is going to be ready for his because of his playoff experience overseas and these types of settings, like one and done kind of kind of settings. Kawhi Leonard should be good to go. Paul George should be good to go. It's the other guys. The other guys are going to decide this game. Maybe it's going to be a ball that gets tipped and goes off someone's leg out of bounds. You know, they like, oh man, if only we could have grabbed that. Like little things. Every little thing in this game seven. Win or lose, you're gonna look back at and being like, that was that was a like a little bit of a tipping point that mattered. That little swing of point, like, oh, that missed contested layup, and they hit a contested three. That little five point swing, it mattered. Now, I was talking to Tom earlier today. Um, I am gonna put this out there. This is my prediction for Game Seven. I've talked all this time about how game sevens are close and they're they're decided by little things. Oh, here we go. I have a feel I have a feeling that game seven's a blowout. I don't know which team wins. I, when I say blowout, I mean like 15 to 20 point yeah, win yeah. for a team. So I, I kind of get the feeling like th- think about the factors, man. An yeah. emotional game six for both teams, having to travel on a Saturday. You have to get up early on a Sunday to play a Sunday afternoon game coming across two time zones to get back to it. Those are going to be some dead tired dudes. And the one team that shoots like one team's going to get hot. I know it. A team is going to get hot and the other team is going to be just not shooting well. I, I just have that feeling. I hope it's not the Clippers on the wrong side, but yeah. like the schedule doesn't lend itself to a competitive game. No, I mean, the fact that it's the second game of the day and it's it's at, you know, 1230 uh, Pacific, 330 Eastern. I mean, you could have easily put that at nighttime and, and this would have been a, a really fun showdown um, for a lot of people to, to enjoy. But, hey, you know, let the league do, do what it always does. But I will say this, like if Dallas wins this game seven, you can put this series into the Naismith Hall of Fame because no team has ever won the six straight road games or no series has ever had six straight road winners. And if you get seven, I mean, I'm comfortable saying we'll never see it again, especially with the way the way this series has teetered. Like, well, it, it's it's wild. 
it's honestly incredible. It's it's uh, it's right up there with um, Clipper Spurs. I really do yeah. believe that. I and really, I, think, I, think, I really do believe that. I think Clipper Spurs twenty fifteen had maybe one or two blowouts. I think Game Six was a blowout, if I'm not mistaken. So no, it wasn't. The blowout was uh, Game Three. Game the three. Spurs blow out the Clippers in Game Three at home. Um, there is an interesting, I guess, if you want to call it a nice little um, harmonious relationship between this series and that series. Uh, Clippers go on the road. Basically, okay, here, here's, here's the situation. In that Spurs Clippers series, it's tied 2-2. The Clippers have to win game four on the road to force a split coming back home for game five. They win by nine on the road in game four. This game four, they win by 25, obviously not as close. However, game five, they lose by four. Game five here, they lose by five. Game six, they go on the road, down 3-2, and win 102-96, so six points. They win game six the other night by seven, (laughs) 104-97. And in game five, if I remember correctly... In game five, they have a shot to win the game with five seconds to go, but DeAndre Jordan gets called for offensive goaltending. In game five against Dallas, they had a shot to win the game, but Terrence Mann just didn't take it at the rim, and Batum missed it. This deserves like this deserves like a whole write-up. Like this is crazy. I mean, look, man, it, it, it's. I'm not saying the Clippers are going to win Game Seven. I'm just saying there is some parallels to that series and this series. No, you just said you just said that Kawhi Leonard's going to hit a running uh floating bank shot over uh Porzingis. That's what you just said. So you think Kawhi's making that shot, buddy? It's Reggie. Oh yeah, right, Reggie. Got. Come on. Come on, buddy. Reggie has the game winner this year, you know? I, I, I just Detroit. I felt very <laughs> nauseous uh comparing Reggie to Chris. I'm sorry. I just I couldn't do it. I know. I mean, you can't compare Chris Paul to Reggie Jackson. Reggie's just so much better. <laughs> you know, I mean, look at the dude. I'm still waiting for an overtime game. It hasn't oh happened. Oh, my God. It, it's going to happen the in, Clip- the, in the next series if there is one. The Clippers still haven't played an overtime game this season. I, I keep waiting for it. I really do. I thought it was going to happen game five. It didn't happen. Thought maybe game six. No. Looked like it could happen in both game one and two, and it never happened. Like, whew, it's so close, man. It's so close. But look, everyone, I hope you've enjoyed the series. Like, win or lose, if the Clippers win or lose, this has been amazing basketball. I hope you realize there's been four 40-point games in the series. Like, it's absurd, man. It's really absurd. Yeah, I mean, Kawhi, Kawhi Luka. has two. Yeah, Kawhi has two. Luka has two. Luka also had a game with 39. You know, and like, you even go through Kawhi's game logs in this series, and I believe he also had a game where he had um, like 36 or something in Dallas. So like, they're close to having each having three 40-point games, which is absolutely incredible to like actually say out loud. Um but look, it's been a hell of a series. This has been I, I'm I'm emotionally drained and the game hasn't even happened yet. Yeah. And and I was thinking about that earlier. Actually, I was thinking about it on the plane, on the plane ride. The fact that this is only the first round. So potentially you could do this three more times. Uh, I don't think I'm ready for that, Justin. 
Yeah. Um, look, whoever wins between Dallas and the Clippers tomorrow is getting absolutely killed in Utah <laughs> in game one. Salt Lake City. Oh, that, that's going to be deadly. The elevation and one day off, they would be dead. You know, so Shane, where can people find you, find your work, find your good tidings, find you in a hotel room in Los Angeles? <laughs> well, you can find me downtown at the no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want people to come to kill me, <laughs> but uh, you can find me on Twitter at Young MBA and at Forbes Sports going to be right after game seven after we're, we maybe do a podcast. So I don't know. We'll see what we'll see how we feel at three or four o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's do or die. That's all I can keep saying is do or die is it's and look, win or lose. I'm going to be honest with you. I've had an absolute blast covering the Clippers this season. Yeah. Uh, my coverage is not going to stop if they lose. So don't people I don't want people to think like, oh, like I'm gone if they lose. No, I'm just <laughs> saying like it's been a blast. I've had an absolute joy doing this all season. It has been you know, the season's been quick, fast and in a hurry. Everything's been jumbled together, but this has been absolute, just intense, just thrilling, riveting postseason action in this series oh. where the momentum doesn't matter. It doesn't exist. Yeah. When you think one team has it, it's gone. Like Dallas should have had it up 19 in the first quarter in game three and it, and, and it disappeared. Clippers should have had it in game five after winning those two on the road. It wasn't there. Dallas should have had it in game six after they beat the Clippers in game five. It wasn't there. I don't know if momentum is going to be there in game seven momentum. Momentum is as, as is as fickle as one single possession. Yeah. So, I mean, let's everyone yeah, here. I was going to say here, here's to a good game seven. And I guess here's to us hoping that we're not doing exit interviews on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, don't want to do those. Those will last like seven hours, but everybody take it easy. Stay safe. Shane, I appreciate you doing this with your spotty Wi-Fi hotel internet that I'm going to have to edit like crazy. <laughs> Thanks for having um, me. Man. Everybody stay safe. Yeah, no, no problem, dude. This is as always, it's been a blast. Everyone stay safe. Social distance, wear your mask if you still have to in your area. And we'll see you guys, whatever happens after game seven. I'm done. Shane, I'm done. Let's go. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.